Okay. You think the bass is taken away from the vocal? No, not really. Maybe. It sounds balanced to me. It's definitely taken away from my vocal. Just to take the bass down and bring up the vocal. Okay, let's do it, Nick. You heard him. It's sounding really balanced right now to me. Nick, what are you talking about? The vocals are being smothered. Okay? The importance of this record is obviously the vocals and not the bass. Well, yeah, but it's not the bass. The bass is not going to be covering up your vocal. It's in the, it's in the different... It, all I can hear is the bass. Okay? Now, the important thing is, and people who buy this record want to hear me sing. They don't want to hear Charlie playing the bass. All right, how's that? It's better, but it's not right. It sounds like mud. If I take the bass out anymore, it's going to be gone. Nick? I can't hear the claps either. If Dirk says take down the bass, we have to take down the bass. We have to find a better way. Oh, I'm so sick of this. Just take it down. Nick, I'm not going to fucking that's, argue that's with you, not okay? The bass. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. So, Gabe, I was, uh, I'm not drinking it right now. I'm drinking the Elijah Craig. Drinking Elijah Craig right now. Uh, but the other day, Gabe, I was um, drinking this stuff, Angel's Envy. Have, have you seen this shit? You is know it, Angel's Envy, right? Is ben? it non-alcoholic? No, it's whiskey. I don't know um, it. Keep is it up. good? It, it's great, but it's got, it has wings on the back, you know, because it's, you know. So uh, I started singing Fly to Vicarious, but by Iron Maiden, but in the Bob Dylan voice, because uh, I, I guess Bob Dylan, I don't know, is Angel's Envy Bob Dylan's whiskey? Can you look that up? That, that must be the reason why I was doing this. That you made that connection in your head. Right. I'm, I'm kind of like, what was the connection? So you're under a new kind of whiskey. No. You're just mixing it up. Yes. Okay, so Angel's Envy. He's also got one called Heaven's Door. Oh, well, that makes more sense. Does he have a song called Angel's Envy? I don't think so. Okay. So this is what I was thinking about you, Gabe. Is, uh, it, it's got the, these big wings on the back of the bottle, and so I was singing Flight of Icarus in the voice of Bob Dylan. Um, and it was pretty good. Would you like to hear a little bit of it? I'd like to I hear would. it, but I, I thought you were thinking of it because fly, my, my name is an angel. Fly on your way, like <laughs> an eagle. Fly as high as the sun. On your way, like an eagle. Fly as high. 
touch the sun. Pretty good, right? You gotta have an acoustic. And the crowd breaks. In the name of God, my father, I'll fly. Fly on your way. Like an eagle. <laughs> the size the sun on your way. So that's what I did with my That's what I do with my time. Is our internet connection unstable again? It was, it was, it was, it was, it was going in and out while you were singing. I think Dylan's people were, uh, <laughs> fly on your way. You got to do it. Like it, it, there's a real trick to it. You know, like when Bob Dylan sings Iron Maiden, he does it in his own way. That might be a first. It might be the first impersonation of the mashup. I bet it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of mashups, uh, so I get a text from Brian St. Clair, mm-hmm. our old buddy. Really? really? Uh, get, he's on tour right now with Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick is on tour with Rod Stewart. So I think like the first show they're playing and... Uh, Around the third song, Robin turns around and he looks at Dax's kick drum, and there's a dick uh, drawn on his kick drum. You know, dick and balls. And uh, and Robin goes to Dax. He's like, "Hey, there's there's a dick on your kick drum." And Dax is like, "Well, you know, I don't know what's going on. I have no idea." And so Brian is like. Who did this? I'm going to find out. It's probably a crew guy. So he goes to the people at the venue and, and has them pull up the tape so he can look at the tape. <laughs> Rod Stewart did it. <laughs> Pulled it up. Rod Stewart drew a dick on uh, D- Dax's kick drum. He saves his hijinks for the beginning of the tour. Yeah, that's right. Mind. This is my tour, damn it. He <laughs> <laughs> just got into some kind of internet fight with Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. What was that about? Would that have something to do with the Queen? Yeah, I guess Rod sang at the Queen's Jubilee and didn't even sing or sang like a. The fuck did he sing? A Jackson? No, he sang. Uh, he sang "Sweet Caroline" for some reason. Sweet Caroline. Yeah, and um, and terribly apparently. And Elvis, I guess, at a recent show was like, I don't know what the fuck was going on with Rod Stewart at the Queen's Jubilee because he was singing a terrible version of. Neil Diamond. I don't know what that was about. Gabe, do you know about this? I don't follow Rod Stewart or Elvis Costello. Is Elvis Costello, f- he's American though, right? Oh my God. I, I, sometimes <laughs> I just, I know you say this stuff to yank my chain. And, and sometimes I just, I fucking fall for it. And I'm like. Is Elvis Costello from England? Yes. I don't think I've ever heard him talk in a, in a, and not sing, so I wouldn't know. What would Flight of Icarus sound like if Elvis Costello was singing it? With an American accent. Ooh, fly. No, I can't, I can't even do it. Ooh, fly on you. What? So two Englishmen were feuding about the, feud, the, the Queen's... Is this, a, is this a joke? So two Englishmen are feuding... <laughs> oh, Rod Stewart's English. British. Yes, uh, thank God you know that. I do know that. Okay. Rod Stewart, or, or Elvis Costello, is 50-50 on my mind if he's English or not. But here was Rod Stewart's comeback. He's like, fuck you, and by the way, what happened to your hair? Oh, right. <laughs> and then Elvis said, I'm a big fan, and, you know, sometimes 
He goes, sometimes the hair disappeared. I mean, he was cool about it. Yeah. He didn't say anything like, at least I didn't have to have come pumped out of my stomach. Like <laughs> no, you he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't go there. <laughs> he didn't go there. He decided not to uh, spread those rumors around anymore. Like so much come. <laughs> you don't actually believe that happened, do you, Gabe? I, that's an old wives' tale that's been... Do you believe Prince had AIDS, too? Thrown around for years. Hey, no reason to bring wives into it. <laughs> My sister won tickets to see um, Rod Stewart at Madison Square Garden when we were kids. And uh, it was, at, you know, it was when he was at his... It was when he was having that, like, late 80s comeback with uh, Tonight I'm Yours. Tonight I'm Yours? That. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean Downtown Train? No, 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 no. Tonight I'm Yours, I think, was the name of the album, but it was that Young Turks song that uh, Young, Hearts, young, Turks young was Hearts like, Beat Free Tonight. I thought Young Turks was like 82. Okay, I'm sorry. Early 80s. Right. I was probably in junior high school. You you know what? You did this before with, with the, the Kinks. Like you said, like the Kinks yeah. was... Right, right. Okay. I'm All terrible right. when it comes to years. No, but 82, you seem to think is 89 or 87 because it surprises me that i was going to shows by myself or with my sister in 82 but it's true we saw springsteen in 80 together at the garden by ourselves but my dad scalped tickets for us outside the garden he drove us there and just didn't go in with us but yes by 82 i guess we were going by ourselves anyway she won tickets we saw rod stewart so you know rod stewart by 82 has quite a catalog but he still played was carmine that apathy playing with him yes yeah, wow, that's cool. Yeah. Is it Epicy or a piece? I always thought it was a piece. But he still played Young Turks twice that show. Like, it's that, weird to me. In I think that's cool. No. I, no, no. I have always wanted to do that. I've, I, like, I've thought, like, I want to play Bound for the Floor, and then as soon as it's done, I want to play it again. I think that is a cool move. Now, he didn't do it twice in a row. He sort of did it halfway through and then did it. I don't know, maybe at the end of the set, before the encore, it was like, but I like that twice in a row. Sometimes people do it twice in a row if they think they fucked it up, and they're like, okay, I'm just going to do it again for you. Well, I just think it's, it's so stupid that it's cool. Right. Like, you know what the, else? the only band I ever saw do that was, I think, like the Sundays. They didn't, they didn't have enough songs. They were on right. the tour for their first record, so sure. they came out and played one of their songs again. It's yeah. kind of like, listen to this. I, okay. I was thinking about we'll something listen. else. I'm not trying to change the subject, but mm. please like do. When, when you have when you have a hit single, and you and you yes, go on. You make a mix of it where you put a live audience in the chorus, like the Reflex by Duran Duran. You remember that video? Yes. And you get to the chorus and you hear this crowd. I played that on the <sighs> I played that on the jukebox the other night. Yeah, but what, what's with this live track during the chorus crap that happened in the 80s like that? that, that well, I think that started with Salesman with uh, Rush, Rush, right? What's it? Concert Hall. <sighs> no. Who did it before them? That's not the chorus, though, is it? Not in the chorus. Concert Hall. And the crowd goes. <sighs> okay, I get it. I get it. But I thought it was only the video that had the live track it's it's the single too the, the radio hit the mix i think the crowd sound is only on the video of reflex because the reason they did it is because it's supposed to be a live video but it's it's the studio track 
So it's a stylized live video. And so I think they just pumped in the live sound because it's a live video, which makes sense, Gabe. I know, but tell me for real, what's this song about? The Reflex? Yes. Flex. Rev, 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 flex. <laughs> ben, you have to have some Duran Duran fandom in your I, I, I did. I saw Duran Duran uh, open for Split Ends at the, oh, doc- wow. at the Dr. Pepper Music Festival just when Rio, the album, had just been released. So I think wow. like two weeks later and there was no way they were going to be fucking opening for Split Holy Ends. Holy crap. You got in on the ground floor. Got in on the ground floor. of But but the reflex, that's the one that's got the part that goes, why, yeah, 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 yeah. That's got to be the most obnoxious part of any pop song ever that's been on the radio. That was the only Duran Duran song I liked. You 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 are okay with that? Why yeah 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 yeah? Why what? Yeah. Why yeah yeah yeah? I mean, yeah, I like that song. I watched the video of this thing yesterday because I tried to get down to the nitty gritty. What's the song about? And I couldn't stop laughing so hard because these guys are so serious about these lyrics. Everybody singing along. We're trying to get down to the nitty gritty of Reflex just yesterday. Yes. And I played it on the jukebox the day before that. Maybe it was two days ago. I can't remember. But, but yeah, either, either way, come on, man. This is crazy. We're it's having a moment. Page. It's having a moment. We really are. It's just one of those things. I, I, I got to find out what that song's about and wh- how it became a hit. And nobody knows what the song's about. Okay. Bo- I think both these bands are on tour this summer. I'm not sure about Duran Duran, but I know Tears for Fears is currently touring. Which one would you rather see? Duran Duran or Tears for Fears? Duran Duran for sure. I don't know. That Tears for Fears uh, plus Garbage was opening. But you'd right. go for Duran Duran. Me? No, I'd go for Tears for Fears. I, uh, I think. No. no, but Gabe would go Gabe. for Duran Duran. Yeah, Gabe would go for Duran I have to. It's, Tears for Fears is, is it's prom music. Prom music? Maybe. Uh, oh, yeah. And, in a way and that only, Duran Duran is not. Yeah, right, right. Duran Duran, music for the outcasts. <laughs> they have a little bit of credit to them, maybe. More than Tears for Fears? No, actually, Tears for Fears has more cred. Do they? Oh, yeah, The Hurting has a lot more cred than any Duran Duran record. I don't know about that, but... Well, I know you don't know, but trust me, it's when, true. when you say you don't know about that, you mean you don't you mean you don't know about it. Like you don't you're not familiar with it. Not that I couldn't name not that you're doubting his album. Right. I, no, I, he's I saying he disagrees. Right. If it's got He disagrees, but but if you're saying you don't know <laughs> about that because you don't know about that, then yes, you're right. You don't know about that. <laughs> so we should call Kelly Way. Uh, the other day when I was drinking uh, Angel's Envy, she was talking about how she's bummed that she never got asked the Iron Maiden replacements question. Oh. So All maybe right. we should give her a call, see if she's around, and we can ask her to answer that. Also, didn't she just have a cool show at Metro? The Strokes? Yeah. Strokes. It wasn't that cool. Okay. <laughs> oh, here it comes. I mean, they looked cool. Hello? Hello? Is this Kelly Way? Yeah. Uh, this is. This is Scott Lucas. It's me. What are you up to? Um, 
I'm drinking wine <laughs> in Adam Geiger's backyard with my Golden Girls. Sweet. I spoiled them. We'll say hi totally to brought them. I brought them over to Adam's backyard like a couple of days ago. And they had so much fun. And then we did it again on Sunday and they had so much fun. And today, Missy, the bigger one, just like took off down my gangway to my car. She's like, oh, we're going to Adam's house. And I was like, what? Uh, no, maybe, but get in the fucking house, you bitch. Don't go running away. <laughs> remember remember the other gone. day when you said you, you uh, wanted to do the podcast one of these days sober? Yeah. <laughs> I guess this wouldn't be one of those days. Say hi, say hi to Ben and Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> I am somewhat sober. Hi, guys. Wait, what happened? What if I miss that I'm going to hear about on the podcast later on no i was Damn just it. i was just telling I them I, I was telling them i heard herb calling in for joe kelly this could be really ugly have i said anything <laughs> negative about anyone no no i okay, don't good. i don't think so just the golden girls well they're, so, they're awesome so you they should be adopted okay so you were telling me that you were bummed that you didn't get asked the iron maiden replacements question right Oh, yeah, because it was an obvious answer for me. Oh, is this call just not even necessary? Well, no, it's not. I mean, I sure dig the Iron Maiden, but it's replacements all the way. And I'll tell you why. Oh, ooh, we get <laughs> One, because I love them. Two, <laughs> because in, I, must, I don't know if it was a Tim tour or if it was the album after that i'm pretty sure it was tim i don't know they opened up for tom petty and i was right. living in indiana and i went and saw them at deer creek and my friends and i drove there from Terrible. wait are you are you sure it was it was the don't tell a soul tour though wasn't it with tom petty oh it probably was yes that makes absolute complete sense. And then, um, so we were driving in from Terre Haute, the armpit of America, which I love. And uh, I know that my friend who was driving, we got into a fender bender because there's a lot of traffic. The car in front of us stopped really quickly. And we were so panicked that we were going to miss the replacements, the best band. and. Um, Although I do love me some Tom Petty, don't get me wrong. And we it's understandable. Got, we got to our seats. I had front row. We were I, I worked at a record store at the time, and so we were a ticket master. And so I was like Johnny on the spot when it came to um, buying tickets. Totally had front row tickets. We get there. We get our spots. Replacements come out. It was glorious. Paul Westerberg does a nod and sends me and my friend Donna. And I think I had another friend with me, but I don't remember who it was. We get backstage passes. Ooh. And then we end up at the Omni Hotel. With Iron Maiden. Where, where nothing goes on. I promise you that. But... Paul Westerberg had just had some article released in Rolling Stones how 
they were all clean and they weren't doing drugs and blah, 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 blah. And we're sitting around this hotel bar and Westerberg is like, or maybe even Tommy, some of them, one of them is like, wait, you, you guys, you guys got drugs? And we're like, no, we don't have drugs. We don't do drugs. And they're like, oh, we thought you might have drugs. And then it was just like, and, and scene. You gave off the drug vibe. Because we didn't have drugs. Yeah, but you gave off the drug vibe. And he was like, yo, Uh, apparently those two have drugs. Oh, totally. Apparently gave up the drug vibe, but we did not have drugs. No, no. Mm -mm. All right, Gabe. Is is that the answer you thought you were going to get? I didn't know I was going to be bombarded. (laughs) <laughs> with an, an ambushed. He knew I was going to pick the replacements. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. All right. I mean, come on. All right. Well, thanks for picking up the phone. Not everybody does. <laughs> well, I, I feel honored that I'm going to be a little bit in this fucking awesome podcast. So uh, thank you. You're going to be a little what? A little bit. Oh, a little bit. Okay, a bit. Oh, a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I didn't say bitch. Okay. I said bit. Uh, love you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> love you, Kelly. Thank you so much. Well, so much for her wanting to be a sober guest <laughs> on the show. You know, what, what we forgot to bring up last week with Gary was we forgot to bring up his rivalry with Kelly Way. We forgot to bring that up with her, right? Should I call her back? No, no, no. That's a... But the other thing is, I missed the conversation about heightism because my, my, uh, my internet froze, and so I was out of it. Right. So I'd, li- I'd like to say a th- few things about this, and maybe we can put this to bed forever and we don't have to talk about short people ever again. Gabe, are you down? Want to try this? You're trying to say that short people got no reason to live. In a manner of speaking, but... You were saying, like, what is the... Uh, cutoff. Yeah, what's the cutoff? What is... All right, so I think, I think I have it, okay? Above six foot is tall. That's what I, that's what I think. Above, if you're s- above six foot, you can be considered tall. If you're six foot and below, I think you're average. But Gabe, how old are you? Old? I mean, not old. How tall are you? Scott, one day you're going to do the show sober yeah i know <laughs> i'm gabe, five 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 okay so whatever gabe is five five <laughs> and below is short all right so that that is the cutoff i'm the cutoff six foot and above tall six foot to five five average five five and below short yeah can we can we just go with that one but what about the the, no. the the countless number of front men in rock music that are my height and and stand tall on stage? They're short. <laughs> That's why they have stages. Deal, Klaus Main, Sully. Well, or they wear lifts, you know, like you ever see the shoes that Bono has? Oh, he Do can't you... be tall. He's yeah. not. That's what He's I'm your saying. Height. Yeah. He's short. <laughs> And Prince, you know, wore high heels. Prince wasn't short. Prince was tiny. Oh, okay. That's better that's different. Than short. It's see, he's like a, like a miniature pony. He's like a Gary Coleman. <laughs> that no 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 no. He's tiny. Like Gary Coleman, you know, like 
you know, he, like Prince was just, Prince was perfectly proportioned. He was just miniature. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? I think you're digging a hole here. Scott. But say so you're saying you Gabe mean? is not perfect. I'm not proportioned. What, what part of my body is out of proportion? I'm just saying people who are, are short. You can't put Prince in that in the same category as Prince. Uh, I can't believe we're talking about Gary Coleman again, but you can't put him in the same category. <laughs> Am I taller than Prince? Not in my mind, you're not. But on the stage, <laughs> if we're standing next to each other and I'm singing back up to him doing When Gubs Cry, uh, and, you know, I get to sing the the second verse or whatever that song is. Am I going to stand taller than him? Or? Hang on, I'm looking it up. I, I, I Prince was 5'2", so yeah, you are taller than Yeah, him. I'm five inches. That's almost a half a foot. So that means he's short. You're three inches. You're five five. He's five two. That's three inches. Uh, okay. Three it's not inches. half a foot. <laughs> yeah, <It's> okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I can't add. Gabe, who who do we have on the show today? Okay. Today, Ed Velasquez. Velasquez? Velasquez. 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 We'll, we'll ask him. He's uh, I, he's I, one what, of the gurus. Whatever, however you pronounce it, I'm going to get it wrong. One of the gurus at Q Division Studio. Guru, yeah, all right. I, I like, like to that. call him a guru. Yeah. He's had his name on the back of some record covers, playing bass and twiddling the knobs, right? Yeah, he twiddles knobs. Yeah, he knows <laughs> how to do that. And he's one of the masterminds or one of the helpers at the, the hot stove. Right. Call it. The hot, the cool music, hot stove cool music. Uh, he's one of the guys who like sort of puts things together. So, uh, which is coming up on July 1st. Tickets are still available as far as I know. Uh, Mavis Staples is going to be there and Juliana Hatfield is going to be there. Uh, a lot of people, but he's in control or in charge of, you know, sort of getting everybody together and going, all right, what songs are we going to play? And uh, he's, 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 he's kind of glue. You know, the glue. Not the glue that you would pump out of Rod Stewart's stomach or anything like that, but, you know, <laughs> the glue that you would put in Rod Stewart's hair. You don't eat glue, do you? <laughs> Some people oh, eat glue. Boy. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like uh, the guy from, uh, guy from Puddle of Mud eats glue. <laughs> Did you know right, that? Right before he does Nirvana covers. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wonderfully, by the way. <laughs> Wonderfully. I, I thought we were going to get some kind of sponsorship for this podcast. Ben, what happened to that? Today's episode is sponsored by <laughs> Phil Tippett's Mad God, now playing at a theater near you and on mm. Shudder. It's on Shudder? I believe it is. I'm going to go see it, I think, this weekend at Music Box. I saw it today at the IFC Center in Greenwich right. Village. Did you enjoy it? I did. Okay, good. We almost made it a whole episode without talking about movies. We're not, why wouldn't we talk about movies? Did you see a good movie, Gabe? Uh, not really. I'm trying to watch movies on Netflix and stuff. Okay, and so let me guess what you watched. You watched the new version of Father of the Bride with Andy Garcia. Oh, I did not, but I heard... 
it's the most popular show on HBO Max of all time. <laughs> all time. Most successful oh. debut. Oh, that's an HBO Max joint, not yeah. a Netflix joint. I'm yeah. But, it, but it's Father the Bride with a Latin flavor. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> well, Better put that? Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan in a fucking movie if it's not going to have a Latin flavor. Do you think I'm going to watch a movie with Gloria Estefan and Andy Garcia and go, wait a minute. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been watching this movie for a half an hour and I'm detecting a Latin flavor. Ben, are, are you getting this? Is, are you getting a whiff of Latin from this movie? Yeah, but it's not like the Wonder Years remake where they were, you know, African-American family. It is like 70s. that. Is it? Yes, it's a whole, everyone in the movie is in, a, in this big Latin American family. Uh, guys, I don't think we're supposed to be talking about this. I can oh, talk okay. about this. Oh, you can talk about this. Well, first, I think they're Cuban. Ooh. And there is a difference, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Well, oh, we're talking about people, right? <laughs> You're talking about, are we talking about people? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting how Andy Garcia gets described these days. I was reading about him in the context of this movie and it was you know Andy Garcia probably best known from Ocean's 11 movies and it's weird to me because I feel like he had an entire career you know the Ocean's movie were like a comeback for Andy Garcia right right when I think of Andy Garcia I think I'm playing the uh Italian in the Untouchables yeah right <laughs> man like that was fucking appropriating like Andy Garcia that was just, that was, it was the 80s. Wasn't people. he also the Italian in Godfather 3? Yeah. Taking parts away from real Italians, Andy Garcia. His name was Garcia, for God's sake. My favorite Andy Garcia movie is When a Man Loves a Woman. Mm-hmm. Anyway, taking parts <laughs> away from real Italians. Now, fuck that. That's fucked up, Gabe. Now, tomorrow I'm going to go see West Side Story. <laughs> The remake with, uh, or the original? Natalie Wood. Hey, everybody. It's Ed Velasquez. Velasquez? Velasquez? What, what, what is it? I think the latter was the correct pronunciation. Velasquez. But whatever. As long, just get it close. It's, it's a terrible or last Or Eddie V from the uh, East Coast. The East Coast Eddie sure. V. <laughs> whatever you want to call me. <laughs> you got COVID? As of yesterday, yes. <sighs> Dude. I... I did you get it at Midnight Oil or something? That was my guess. Yeah. It was either Midnight Oil or Letters to Cleo. Yeah. Your bed's going to be burning pretty bad now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, the fucking king of the mountain. Is Ed our first guest with COVID? I don't think, I think, I don't think we've had any guests without COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but like in, in its most current form. <laughs> right. I guess I had it. On that one episode when we were on the road and we were talking to Matt Garcia. Yeah. Uh, our old bass player. I think but, we had, we've had at least one or two others who have been sort of been on, you know, on the mend, like sort of at the tail end of their COVIDs. Right. I didn't yeah, realize I had it when we did that. But we know you've really. got it, Ed. So. Yes. And, and you, right now you just feel under the weather slightly. Yeah, just, it just seems like a weird, like a just mild flu but I've, you know, I've, whatever, I've, I've had four shots and, uh, you know, have been out running this shit for three years. So. Is, so this is your first time getting it? Yes. Oh, God. 
That's a fucking trap. It had to happen sometime. It's, it's very timely, though. I, like, it, it lines up exactly with when I need to be over it to come to Chicago <laughs> in right. 10 days. It's a very strategic acquisition of COVID. Uh, does Juliana know you have it? Yeah, so we fucking rehearsed yesterday, uh-huh. and I tested positive a couple hours later, and I was like, hey, just to let you and Chris know, like, you should probably test. And she uh, she was like, well, what does that mean for the rest of the rehearsals? And I was like, yeah, it's cool. Like, whatever. I, like, you know, you could be dying right now, but can we have a plan for the rehearsals? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I I feel t- like if she gets it, I will feel fucking terror. Yeah. She can't get it. No, she can't. So hopefully you're going to make the hot stove cool music at Metro on July 1st. Yes. But that is the, that is the plan. But you're playing Summerfest with Juliana? Uh, the day before in the afternoon. The 30th. Yes. Okay. So you know what? We don't have a lot of, not only do we not have a lot of people with covid on this show, we don't have a lot of bass players. I mean, Ed, you're not our first bass player. I think we've had, but we've only had two others. You had Hatfield. She counts. Nah, she doesn't count anymore, does she? Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> wow. She, she renounced that Who the other a long time she, ago. She, she counts so little that you had her on twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she counts. No, she's a guitarist. Oh, come on, Scott. I don't know. Come on. She seems to play bass on all of her records. Or at least half of them. Right. I play. I play on the songs that she doesn't feel like playing on. Good. And well, when I saw her play with the Lemonheads or Evan, I don't remember if they're calling themselves Evan Dando or Lemonheads. She was playing bass. Yeah, I think she became a bass player because the Blake Babies lost their bass player, and she decided to play bass and just happened to be good at it. She does it when she has to. She doesn't want to do it. Nobody wants to be a bass player. That is true. <laughs> then she's just like every other bass player. Yeah. I mean, when you were a kid, were you like really into bass players? No, I I picked up bass because everyone in my town played guitar or drums, and I was like, if I do that, I could get in a band pretty quickly. Yeah, smart. So that was that was my impetus for playing bass. You didn't have any bass player dudes that w- were your guy. I I was super into the first two Joe Jackson records. Yeah, Graham oh, Maybe. Fuck yeah. And Graham Maybe has been my guy from the beginning. So Grant, like Graham, maybe and like Sting and Bruce Thomas were like the guys, right? And, and let's Steve not Harris. forget. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> See, I enjoyed Steve Harris. It was it was not anything that I could physically play and still can't. Yeah, it's tough what, stuff. What about Tommy yeah. Stinson, another guy who sort of renounced bass playing? I saw him play in Boston on Saturday. Who's he playing he with? A solo show. He was playing solo. Is just was he, he playing he, bass? He, yes, he was playing solo bass. <laughs> no one went but me. Um, no, he just played acoustic in like this consignment shop. He was fucking great. Yeah. Do you know Tommy? Really good. We met years ago. I had to reintroduce myself. I don't, like, he kind of looked at me like he might have known who I was, but he like he's buddies with the Figs and Mike Gent, so I had to. Right. I had to rem- remind him of my Mike Gent connection. Right. But even then, I was just like, he has no idea. Did Mike Gent play the uh, last hot stove in Boston? No, I think he was. I think he was out with the figs. It's better than being out with COVID. That is true. That's true. I don't think Mike's. I don't think Mike's actually had COVID yet. Better the figs than the vids. <laughs> Pretty good. So, how did uh, hot stove cool music get started? Uh, so it started twenty-two years ago 
uh, Peter Gammons, you know, world-renowned Hall of Fame baseball writer, decided he wanted to have a charity event, and he enjoys the rock music and decided to put something together uh, with Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo. Right. And it just started kind of small and then just kind of morphed from there. And then once, you know, Theo Epstein came in and the Red Sox won a World Series, then the whole thing kind of blew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Was it always at the Paradise? Yep. Every, every, I think the only time we did it, well, we did it at House of Blues once, which was not, was not the right thing. And then we've done subsequent things at Fenway that, that have been pretty cool. What'd you do at Fenway? We've done like three or four of them. Um, the first year we like set up over the uh, Red Sox dugout and just played to the grandstand mm-hmm. area. And it was like Fountains of Wayne, Juliana, Ben Queller, just ba- our friends basically. Um, and then we one year John Legend played, which was super weird because it was only like a thousand people and it should have been 30,000 right. people. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't let anyone know that you're doing this thing for charity where you're just taking money and then when did it move to chicago i mean it hasn't moved to chicago you just included chicago in it yeah so when theo took the job with the cubs 10 years ago he was like hey do you guys want to do this in chicago i was like yeah that seems fucking great yeah so it's actually 10 years this year is the the 10 year anniversary of us playing in chicago for this thing including the two years that didn't happen (laughs) that's true yes okay so if so if you include the two years it didn't happen it's 10 okay years. all right good good so who we got who we got uh, on the first this time uh mavis staples that's right mavis staples jesus christ and hopefully juliana hatfield yeah and yourself mm-hmm. and uh dog julian frida love smith her last show yes thank god thank god she agreed to doing that. how'd you do that your, your powers of persuasion are just guilt it's all fucking guilt i mean i i think frida was the the carrot that got juliana to do okay because she she was kind of on the fence i was like don't you want to play with your friend one more time and she was like oh yeah i guess so. <laughs> that yeah that sounds good and then i was like shit i should call frida to make sure she's cool with that. right and then she's like no i'm not and she's like no she's like i have to think about it i was like no you fucking don't <laughs> you don't have to think yeah. about it please don't fuck this up for all of are us. you wearing a lover boy shirt I am. No, it's uh, NRBQ. Okay. I wish I was wearing a Loverboy shirt, though. <laughs> I'm wearing Loverboy pants. <laughs> the red leather, red, red leather pants. Get lucky. Red leather pants. Have you ever seen the beginning of that video? Like, it's got like a pre-roll where they try to explain who came up with the title of Get Lucky. It's one of the most embarrassing things I've ever seen. No, but I'm going to look it up as soon as oh, we're yeah. done. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Like, it, it just takes forever, and none of it is funny, and they go through each member. Like, even the keyboard player gets a monologue. You don't give the <laughs> keyboard player a monologue. Wow. You certainly don't give the bass player one. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, I will go check that out. Yeah. It's the best It's the best uh, three hits on a cowbell ever for it. Well, you know, Albini says that that's not a cowbell, that... That that's uh, the click track. Oh, even better. Because he has a theory that all songs with a cowbell are great. And that is not and, one for And him. then that was the fly in the ointment. He won the seven-card stud World Series of Poker Championship the other day. I saw an interview with him afterwards. He was 
wearing like two masks because he's he must be pretty uh, afraid of COVID. But he was pretty excited, <laughs> and uh, he's a pretty good poker player here. Have you ever played wow. him? No, I have never played him. I, I don't. I, I don't think I play his stakes. But uh, it'd be nice to get in there and play. Wait, that. Gabe, are you a professional poker player? No, I'm an amateur poker player, but uh, I haven't played poker in, in years because mostly because of COVID and stuff. But you know, my buddy Mike, Big Mike, he beat him in one hand. No, 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 no. In, in a tournament, he was having a tournament at Albini's studio. And he got all the way up to top, and he was facing off with Albini, and he beat him. Anybody can beat anybody on one day, but... Oh, wow. Look at this guy. You're not even a little impressed? Mike McIntyre can play poker, I hear. and We talk poker now and again. But to go to the World Series of Poker and win two, he won twice. But he won, like, yesterday. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying Mike's no Albini. Yeah, Albini's uh, making a name for himself. Yeah. In poker. In poker. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a name for himself already. Well, I'm just saying, in poker, that's a different animal. Much in all the right. same way that Francis Ford Coppola now makes all his money from winemaking, Steve Albini is now a rich man from poker, and he can, you know, the producing thing. Is well, he's probably dumping it all into the studio, as usual. Sure. Right, Ed, right. what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> Speaking of studios, <laughs> what's going on over at Q Division? Uh, we closed our facility that we're in for 20 years. Um, Q Division is a studio in Boston for all of you Chicago people listening. Um, where Steve Albini recorded, uh, Surfer Rosen, right. actually. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we got kicked out of our place of 20 years and put our shit in storage and looked around for a building and finally found one and we're building and we'll be done hopefully recording music by October at this point. Really? I think we were hoping to be recording by spring, but between like COVID and like supply chain shit and contra contractors being contractors, it's just taken forever. So how long have you been working there? I have been working at Q Division since 1995. How did that, how did that happen? Um, I moved to Boston from New Haven, Connecticut with my band, The Gravel Pit, uh -huh. and we were we were signed to the Q Division record label, and uh, they were just starting a label, and I <clears throat> started, you know, basically interning more or less until it morphed into a job. Was the was, was the Gravel Pit your first first band? Because I rem I've got that CD, and I don't remember where I I got it, but I mean I got it way back in the day. Um, that was that was like my first sort of real touring band, I guess. Um, but I was in a couple of other bands that had really terrible names before that, <laughs> which you will enjoy. Mental Gymnastics. How's that for a name? Pretty good. <laughs> like on a, on a scale of terrible? Yes. On the scale of bands um, we've been in, it's one of the best ever.
It's cool, it's something to dream about Big and heavy with a head made of stars Bright yellow like lights on the window up The only window still around without bars Creed's little catastrophe Create a masterpiece It wrestles surprisingly Another disguise for me Creed's little catastrophe Creed's little catastrophe Creed's little catastrophe Creed's little catastrophe I don't know, what would I read somewhere that you were referred to as the Zelig of the Boston music scene? <laughs> sure. Thought, well, that, that was pretty good. We had the MacGyver of Chicago on here last week. We got the Zelig of Boston this week. Uh, so, I mean, it seems to me like you know everybody, and, you, and you've got your, I don't know, your finger in some... <laughs> Pie or another. I can't, can't, can't get my fucking metaphors together. <laughs> that was good though. Wherever you're going with that was good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do a bunch of crap. I mean, I play in like four local bands and I, you know, probably produce like f five records a year or something. Or back when pre COVID, I would do that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, whatever. Just, I will not stop playing, you know, and, you know, will never not record. Right. What was that? Uh, what was that thing that you were doing with Graham Parker? How did that happen? That was a Mike Gent connection. Um, Mike played on a record of his in like 2008, I think, called "Don't Tell Columbus." Um, and then Mike put a band together to go out on the road with him, and asked me to play bass, which was fucking nuts. Yeah, you know, my 14 year old self was freaking out. Um, but yeah, and he's a fucking great guy. Just super nice dude to work for. And and just playing, you know, shit that I've loved my whole life. It was like fantasy camp. Right. Know? So is there ever a point when you like you forget that it's Graham Parker or is that thing always in your head? It t it definitely took a little bit to to get over the sort of nerves like but like I don't know, by the second gig it was kind of like, "Oh, we're just we sound like a good band." But yeah, like at rehearsal just like freaking out it's like holy shit we're playing local girls oh fuck i missed the bridge right. <laughs> you know that kind of shit how many shows did you do um i think we just did like three it was like three weeks maybe that's pretty good so you know yeah it was fun and and i i haven't you know i haven't played with him really since i did like some little bit of recording with him he, he did like a bunch of re-records of all of his stuff so that he could own the masters right for licensing stuff, and I played out a bunch of that stuff. So that was again super weird. Yeah, Recor <laughs> recordings. Like he did, recording. he did like a whole Taylor Swift thing. And this is God. This is years ago. Um, so it wasn't a Taylor once. Swift thing. She did a Graham Parker thing. I should say. That's right. That's, that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. It seems like a thing people do now. It it, it does, and I and I get it, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm down with it. I'm down with it if they don't release it. I'm down with it if they're using it to license it so they can own the map, own both sides of the pie. Back to your call back to your pie. Uh -huh. So that's what they so that's what some people do. Yeah, so like once the sort of re-recording clause is up on their contract that they've had for 30 years, yeah. They will record sound alikes to to license it. So like you know, if Warner Brothers 
or whatever, if, if some Netflix movie wants to use like a B-52 song, they could go to the B-52s and license their sound alike of Rock Lobster versus oh. going paying fucking a million dollars to use the Warner Brothers version. Oh, I'm really down with that idea. That is a good, that's a good idea. Yeah, when's your re- when's your re-recording clause up? <laughs> I don't think that, there was a re-recording clause. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. So they so he does the re you do the new recordings and then you just file them away or you send them to. So I think he had a publishing company who would shop that to folks. Mm. Um, um, and the reason I brought up the B fifty twos thing, I I somehow lucked into being part of that where a friend of my old boss. Um, started managing them and asked like, Hey, do you want to do these re-records? You know, we, we have, you know, the, whatever that clause is up mm-hmm. and we're trying to, trying to license shit. So we ended up, me and a couple of buddies ended up playing on the, the bed tracks of like three, it was like love shack, rock lobster and Rome. And then when they, when they were on tour, they came in and sang on it. How long ago was this? Uh, it's probably like six years ago. Was Greg Saran with them at the time? Was that the guitar yeah. player guy? I met him. Yeah, we op- a band I planned opened for them, and I met him. He's super nice. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. He's a good guy. What, what, was, yeah. what was the band that you played in? Uh, this woman, Abby Barrett, who I played. Oh, with. right, you played I've the other night. Right? Yeah, we had, we had a record release party that was postponed three times because of COVID. Jesus Christ, and and I somehow managed to not fuck that up by a week. <laughs> so are you going to make the warm-up show in Somerville with Juliana? I think so. I mean, I think... We can cut I mean, this out, whatever. too, if you want. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I think, I think the plan is, like, whatever, isolate for five days, mask for five days. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of her call. Like, I'll play a show with a mask. I don't fucking care. I mean, I, I just want to rehearse one more time before we <laughs> before we come to Chicago. <laughs> that sucks, man. Have you ever played Summerfest before? No, I've, I've never been. Is it fun? Oh, it's a scene, man. It's a, what you got to do is you got to look for the pizza cone. Gabe, have, did they have pizza cones when you pizza were there, cone. Gabe? I never even heard of such. Things. So it looks like an ice cream cone. And, I'm intrigued. Yeah, and but it's it it's it's a pizza, and it's like the. The, the cone itself is the crust and it's, you know, made like a, a, a pointy waffle cone. And then co- coming out of the top of it is the cheese and the sauce and everything. It's great. I'm in. That sounds fantastic and terrible all at the same time. Yes. <laughs> it sounds, and good it for like you. A, it sounds like a mess. Yeah. Ed, you're from New Haven. Do you consider New Haven to be the greatest pizza town? Why you got to bring this up? I'm sorry. Why you got to do this? <laughs> uh, I do. I do consider that to be the best pizza town in America. Now, are you a fan of the red pie? That is my favorite. Now, it just looks like something's missing. Yeah, the cheese is missing. <laughs> it's true. The red, red, the plain with garlic and pecorino romano is my favorite. What if they made a red pie and put cheese on it? Yes, I, I've heard that they do that. It's called the cheese pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also quite good. I think the first year I came to do the hot stove thing, I went to a deep dish place and it was fucking amazing. But it was it was it was too much. Yeah. Where they take it, like Pequods or something? 
I can't remember, man. We were walking back. We were walking back from Wrigley because we'd stayed like on the other side of town. Right. I forget where the hell we were. But they're not doing that to you this time. You're, you're staying like right across from the park. We are. Good. Yeah, that's good thinking. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the name of the place, but it it put my uh, guitar player <laughs> in, in the hospital. Like he he broke out in hives and like had to like take a cab to a CVS and get an EpiPen, <laughs> and then. And like yeah. came home and like all of a sudden was like diagnosed with like cheese allergy and all sorts of that. And I was like, wow, Chicago, did you? Man, uh, I am proud of that. Like, that is great. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to ask him if he remembers the name of the joint. It was fucking awesome. Lou Malnati's? May, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's probably Lou is Malnati's. Like, is, like, is that the place to go? Yeah, it's, it's not my favorite, but it's, it's, it has wide support wide support so what's going on with this uh devious records Are you still doing that no that was sort of like a just a label that i came up with to put out my wife's music and then ended up putting out some other people's music who didn't have labels where it's like hey do you want to just stick the logo on the back of the thing and right. put it out to make it look like something so there's not going to be any more delinquents records i don't think so really that that stuff is really good She's actually, she's in another band now called the Shanghai Lows, which is getting like a bunch of traction on like Little Steven's Underground Garage. All right. It's it's good. It's sort of like male, female, you know, two-part harmony stuff. And it's it's kind of power poppy, kind of at times sounds like the knack. Okay. Less girl groupie. There's like one, maybe one girl groupie tune in the bunch, but the rest is just kind of straight up rock tunes. So what was your first tour where you got out of the East Coast and out of, the, you know, that whole area? Because, you know, like the way it the way it's set up there is like, you know, all the towns are really close. Crazy traffic, but the towns are close. Yeah. The first tour we ever did was in I booked a tour for us in 93 because we didn't have anything. And we drove down to Memphis and spent a week at Arden and made our first record Ooh. in the middle of the tour. So we kind of like snaked down the East Coast, cut over through Tennessee to Memphis, and then made our way back up. Or no, we started in the Midwest and went down. That's what it was. It was just like a loop. But yeah, we made our first record. We made it ardent with Jim Dickinson. Wow. Which is pretty wild. So you've always it, just had like just good taste and just wanted to be working with people that are yeah, I mean, what I just lucked, I lucked into a band with a really great songwriter and really nice people, and and like their bass player didn't want to do it anymore, and I ended up joining their band, and then like we made a demo, and then somehow Dickinson heard it at South by Southwest, and was like, "Oh, you guys should come down here and record." And so we figured out how to afford to do that. And uh, how how did you afford that? I think we borrowed money from the singer's parents or something. And then paid it off playing shitty gigs. Do you remember how much it was? It was somewhere around like ten grand, which is kind of a deal. Yeah. Considering I think they gave us the A room for like five a day, which seems crazy. Yeah. Um and I think we somehow I think we ended up recouping on that somehow. Like I don't think Jim charged us all that much. But it, whatever, it's just to sit and like listen to that dude's stories for a week was 
fucking totally worth yeah. it. You know. You remember the best one? Um <laughs> I mean the the Wild Horses story was pretty good where he he played piano on that track and you know, kind of just kind of weaseled his way into playing on it. He was just kinda like hanging out and smoking weed with those guys. <laughs> right. Um and then whatever, the replacement stories were entertaining. Um it was it was I've never seen anyone do this. He I've never seen anyone chain smoke weed like this guy <laughs> did. It was so great. He would sit there and roll joints from like ten AM until like two and then just nonstop and just never change. He was just constantly the same the whole the whole way. <laughs> but but like never offered us any weed. Not that any of us smoked weed, but it was just like, wow. He's just <laughs> smoking grass for like 10 hours by himself <laughs> it was awesome yeah and, and billy gibbons was in one of the other studios that was the other weird thing about that making that record what was billy gibbons billy. doing was it zz top or a solo record oh no zz top and it was just you know him and a fair light right and still guitars still doing that, the fair light you know, thing that, that was 93 so I don't know. Is that like fucking Afterburner? No, like Afterburner was. Was that the '80s? Still was that the '90s? Afterburner. I think that's early '90s. If there was only a device that we could look this up. If on. only. I'm working on it. Keep talking. I see. I see you doing that. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know if it was you know Sleeping Bag or one of those fucking records. Well, Afterburner, I think, is Sleeping Bag. Is it? Yeah. All right. What's What's the record after that? In any case, he was around the whole. You know what he's probably there. doing was he was probably like re-recording a Deguelo or something. Remember when they put out those records and they re-recorded the 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 rhythm track so it sounded more oh. like uh, oh to make it sound more like Eliminator. Yeah, I was gonna say Exterminator. Yeah, more like Eliminator. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like <laughs> their best record he destroyed and you couldn't find it for years in its original version. Okay, 85 was Afterburner, and 1990 was Recycler. Is that the one you're talking about? All right, so this would have been 93. Antenna came out in 1994. Antenna? The record. What's Antenna? What's, what the hell's on Antenna? You don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Pincushion? No. Pincushion, Breakaway, World of Swirl, Fuzzbox, Voodoo, Girl. Wait, 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 what did you say? World of Swirl? World of Swirl. Oh, I thought you were saying Sorrow and some like weird... <laughs> no, I, no, I haven't gotten to. That. I think Pincushion was the single off yeah. that. That's got to be. As shitty as it sounds, I enjoy El Loca. There's songs on that that I love. It's fine. But only one of those records has Matic Mechanic on it. That's true. And that was one of my favorite songs in high school. <laughs> that song is great. Yeah, it's incredible. We should do that at Hot Stove just to con just to confuse people. Uh, <laughs> I would love to. I would love to. What are we going to do? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I think we're going to play some, uh, some police covers and Matt's covers the night before okay. at, at the VIP party. And, uh, I hear that you're going to sit in with, uh, Halffield on some guitar. Is that true? Yes. Awesome. So I will be sitting in with you as well. Yes. Provided we're all there. Yes. Yeah. Did you just, did you say some Matt's covers? Yeah. Cause. Cause you don't have to rehearse those. <laughs> it's almost, 
Well, this is like, it's the night before the actual show, which people can still get tickets for this, right? Uh, the, yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, so, but the night before is this kind of uh, practice session, uh, jam session, whatever. And we just try to usually like come up with a group of covers by a certain band. Like a couple of years ago, it was replacements. I think the year before that in Boston, we did uh, REM songs. Yeah. Right. And then it turned into a Stones jam. Yeah. That's what it was when it was here, like starting off, it was Stones for like 15 years. Right. With Gent and Janowitz, which is always Stones. Yeah. Which makes, makes a lot of sense to me because those songs are fun to play. Oh, absolutely. But like that, I think the night we did REM. We also did a whole set of Cheap Trick with Dax on drums. Fuck yeah, right. Who who were we fooling? Cheap Trick, R.E.M., and The Stones? That, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> that, was, that was arguably too, too, many, too many hours of music. Not arguably. That was the night I almost fell into What's-His-Face's drum set. Yes. That was also, the, I don't know if you remember this, but the fire department came in the middle of The Stones thing. Right. And we, they evacuated the entire joint. Right. And we had to go outside and then we came back and by that time I was good and sauced up and I was like, all right, let's, let's kick this into high gear. And I decided to jump on top of this amp, but it's the <laughs> <right>. flimsiest, <laughs> stupidest amp and, and it's, and I lose my balance and I start going towards, uh, God, what's his name? It was, was it Worcester? It was Worcester. It was John. So I start going towards him and, and I'm kind of like like sort of mouthing words like I can't stop this I I can't you know I, I just it's happening in slow motion and he's playing the drums and he's like shaking his head like no no don't do this I'm like I can't and so I by some I push my body back with some kind of bird-like motion and I go right back right on my ass like my foot is still on the amp right on my ass and I don't think I could walk right for Two weeks after that. And I remember saying to, I was like, all right, we should stop. <laughs> I looked at you. I was like, you're right. And you're like, I, I think so. And I was like, all right, we should stop. And Casper get, came up. He's like, no, nah, he's a professional. We're going to keep going. And like stepped over you and took the bass out of my hand. I was like, all right. Right. So you guys I'm just put, put me in the back and said, just play tambourine. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't even know if you moved, if they just played around you. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, my God. And then the next day, uh, I was really excited because Tanya Donnelly was there. And I'm a huge fan. And I walk in and I say, oh, hi, I'm Scott. And she goes, oh, oh, yeah, John told me about you. You're the guy. So I was like, <laughs> fuck. Uh yeah, the hot stove is good. Good times. The hot stove. What was your favorite time at the hot stove? Like the the, the moment that, where you were just like, "Come on!" The moment when you fell on your head was pretty yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't. I mean, playing for two hours with Eddie Vedder was a good time for sure. Um, I don't know. Playing with Susan Tedeschi and Derek Trucks was pretty wild. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think. Maybe the second year we did Chicago, a bunch of you guys got up and sang with Cheap Trick. That was pretty wild. All right, Cheap Trick showed up. They were supposed to go on uh, last, and I think Rick made up some story about, like, he's like, I want to get out of here. Yeah. So they didn't go on like, last. 
No, so they went on kind of in the middle, and then whoever went on after them, you know, people thought the show was over and people left. <laughs> right, no, it was because Tom Morello went on. Was that the same Yeah, day? and Tom, they were supposed to go on after Tom, and once they went on, Tom was like, well, fuck this, I'm going on next. And there was still like two or three bands ready to play, but he played his full set, and so after the show, people thought, after he played, people thought it was over. Okay, that's so right. So we came out and it was like cleanup crew, and I was like, "All right, fine." Hey, you you ended up with this baseball hat though. Yeah, still got it. Still got it. <laughs> that that the, the Tom Morello baseball hat moment was one of my favorites for sure. That was a. How did you? How did you end up with the hat? Let's hear the story. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Okay, so <laughs> tell the story. He was. He was being pretty obnoxious. You know, he sure. was he was doing this thing where he was like, oh, I've got this 10 point. Pl-. If you can believe it, Tom Morello was being obnoxious, but he had this 10 point plan for how the Cubs were going to win the World Series. And I think I remember everybody from from the Cubs just standing there watching him like this motherfucker, you know, it was that happening. Am I wrong about that? Oh, no, absolutely. Like I've. I don't think I've ever seen Theo Epstein that mad. <laughs> he, he was like, so while he was reciting his 10 point plan, Theo was like standing in the sort of, you know, the little sort of guitar tech area you walk through to go on stage. And he was reading some article in Rolling Stone online that was basically everything Morello was saying was in the article. Right. And he was just like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. And he was like, look, he just said this. He just said this. And I was like, and so, so yeah. Yeah. The, no, it was all I mean, completely rehearsed. There was no one was, no one was very pleased. No. But at so, least he wasn't singing at that point. <laughs> wow. Yes. So, uh, correct. He, he gets, he gets done. He walks off. He's like, thank you. Good night. No, no mention that there are more people coming. He's like, thank you. Good night. I was like, <laughs> I was like, what a fucker. And then, uh, uh, so I get up there and his hat is there. So I put his hat on and start playing and he's got a guitar tech and his guitar tech comes up and he's looking around for the hat and he looks at me, he looks at the top of my head and he goes, he goes, uh, is that Tom's hat? And I just looked at him and I said, nope. <laughs> it wasn't like the brim super flat and you like took it and just just I just it. went as hard as possible. Yeah. 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 That was good. Yeah. I feel bad about that, but in the moment Nope, you should not feel bad about yeah. that. Nope. That was, that but I I did feel bad that I missed that that Eddie Vedder show though. You know what we were doing? We had a we had a show that night, local H. We were playing with Puddle of Mud. That's what I did that night. <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. I'm so, yeah, we got out of there. I was like, fuck this, let's go back. But I think by the time I got back, you guys were done. Yeah, I didn't the first year he played, I wasn't there. I don't know if I don't know if that's the year you were talking about. The year I think Dax played with him. It was like Dax and Narduthi played with him. And I was I was on a family vacation watching everyone posting videos of, of Eddie Vedder playing at Hot Stove. I was like, fuck <laughs> yeah, you. Right. <laughs> So he did two years? Two years in Chicago and one year in Boston. Okay, well, I wasn't at any of it. So it doesn't... I, I think I was playing Puddle of Mud at all three of them. <laughs> you got a standing gig with them. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. That guy's awesome okay. too, by the way. <laughs> Puddle of Mud guy? Yeah, he's, is that? He's, he's really cool. I don't think I know anything about the Puddle of Mud other than don't they have two D's at the end of their name? They do. Yes. That's the only thing I know about that band. You should. And that you and that you always play with yeah. them. <laughs> are, they, are they a Christian forward band or is that, I'm thinking of something else, Switchfoot no. or some fucking thing like no, that? Switchfoot might be, but not okay. Puddle of Mud. Okay. Yeah, I think Switchfoot is a Jesus band. What song is a Switchfoot song? What song do they do? Christ Our Savior, no I think, something like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know the song, but I can't think of it. But of course I find it. Jesus Christ, it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Are they the authors of Holy Fuck? Is that what I'm Wait, what? <laughs> Holy fuck. Uh, How do you feel now? Are you, is, is it getting worse? The, uh, the COVID? Yeah. I'm a little, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty feverish, but that just might be the basement. Can you tell if it's the COVID or if it's just talking to us? It might just be, yeah, just my nervousness around Gabe. Yeah, switch, Gabe, switch Gabe makes people nervous. Switchfoot, meant to live, is the song. Oh yeah, but you can't think of it by that name. Sing it for us, Gabe. No, they also had a song called "Dare You to Move." That was their follow-up. But uh, I don't think anybody knew they were Christian when they came out. It kind of came out later. That's kind of like your favorite song, isn't it? "Dare You to no. Move." No, it's like a <laughs> Google Dolls kind of sounding song. Oh boy. <laughs> oh, yeah, we had we had the Google Goo Dolls in April at Hot Stove, <laughs> or or the head Google Goo Doll guy. Did he do Dare You to Move? That's not theirs. <laughs> did he? <laughs> did he cover Switchfoot? Yeah, he's covering Switchfoot. <laughs> this as next one, song uh, is as a, one does. <laughs> that's right. As one does. What do you got, Gabe? You got anything? Uh, well, I looked up. The Juliana Hatfield self-titled covers album that was was done. I think you worked on that, right, Ed? I did. Yeah, I forgot about that. So, well, I, I never even knew about it because it was it wasn't really uh, it was a, a pledge music campaign that came out and then. Oh yeah, yeah. But there's some pretty cool tracks on here. I, I, I guess uh, you know, were you part of the whole record and you got to play on all that? Is Bad Company by the group Bad Company on that record? It's ready for love. Oh, it's ready oh. for love. <laughs> Ready for Love. Uh, what else is on there? Uh, Bad Moon Rising. Nice. Pretty, you know, Learn to Fly, uh, Foo Fighters song, but there's a Liz Fair song on there, but, you know, talk about that a little bit. Oh, yeah. What's the Liz Fair song that's on that? Uh, Friend Fucking of Run. <laughs> no, it's called Friend of Mine. I'm not sure which <laughs> album that's from, but. I think that's a latter period Liz Fair yeah. song. Um, yeah. That, I, I, that was so fucking long ago. Um I feel like we maybe were in the studio for like two days and some of the stuff that she had like, I think there's like a Pete Yorn song that she had cut that we added bass and drums to after the fact. It was very, it was very fast. What about the police and Juliana and Olivia Newton John records? Those were less fast. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love that she made those records and, and, and especially the Olivia Newton John record was just yeah. like the, the wackiest idea I'd heard in a long time. I was like, that's so crazy. You should do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, learning those songs was a fucking education and a half. Those songs have all the chords in them. Dude, it's incredible. <laughs> like those Olivia Newton-John songs are like, I mean, when, you, when you look at like the songs that 
whoever's writing those songs and then you've got the Bee Gees writing these fucking masterpieces and ABBA yeah. writing these masterpieces. It's like, totally. it's incredible. Yeah. So that was, that was pretty hard to make. Like we didn't rehearse any of it. We just went in and just like everyone kind of learned stuff on their own and we kind of arranged it on the fly. The police record was a little easier to make because those are songs are not as hard. Right. <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, both of those records were super fun to make and, and pretty loose. Like she was like the police record. Like I, I had booked time for her at Q and it was the day before. And she's like, Hey, do you want to come in and play on the police stuff tomorrow? And I was like, uh, sure. What are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, do you know a drummer that's available tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I do. I just got off the phone with one and I figured it would be like stock sort of, you know, normal police things or whatever. And it was like, all right, we're going to do landlord. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I thought the drummer was going to have a heart attack because that song was so fast. <laughs> right. And and we slowed it down and it was still too fast. Um, but yeah, both of those records were super fun to make. And it, I, I just love that she keeps, you know, she's the most prolific consistent person i know right and she doesn't think she is she's like well i don't make that many records i'm like yes you do i mean i, I feel like she's made is it 30 records in the last year <laughs> <laughs> no i mean i think since the blake babies it's something crazy yeah. like yeah it is and she doesn't th think it's an, she doesn't think it's a big deal and she's like well when you think of people who go to work every day it's not that big of a deal I'm like, eh, I see what that's you're a, saying, but it's still it's a, kind of It's is. a weird way to look at that, but yeah. You're not serving burgers. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I mean, she's been, whatever. She's been doing this since she's what, like 19 or some shit? Gosh, what, are, what are the vocal sessions like with her, like on those, on those records? Fast. Fast. She just knocks it out, right? Yeah. She's like three takes, you know. Even on the Olivia Newton-John stuff. I mean, some of those songs were a little ambitious, and so maybe those took a little bit, but like, you know, she put them in, you know, in keys that like we changed the key on some of the stuff to make it singable by a human person, <laughs> you know, but then like Xanadu, which was like, again, super crazy song, like, and she did all the background, like all the background, vo all the Jeff Lynne background vocals and it was pretty wild. Yeah, that's great. She could have saved that for an ELO covers record. Perhaps, yeah. She could have. Perhaps she should do that at some maybe, point. Maybe. We'll see. Hey, not to bring us down, and maybe this is bad timing since you are starting your COVID journey, but you can talk a little about Adam Schlesinger. Um, sure. Um, I didn't know Adam super well. He was really close with my boss, Mike. Um, and the last the last time I really hung with Adam was at my boss's funeral, which was like a couple years before the world shut down. And Adam was like the one person who made the COVID thing very fucking real. Yeah, well, you know, it was like April first, and saw some people posting on Facebook, and then it was just like, holy shit. Yeah, and I I think I'd seen him play in New York. In, like in the like a couple months before that um yeah i didn't know him super well but every time i hung out with that guy I thoroughly enjoyed it he's just super funny and super talented guy 
Yeah, everybody liked him. Like, uh, you know. Yeah, he was just like one of those dudes who's just like very easy to easy to be around and just happened to be super fucking gifted. I enjoyed your version of Hackensack, by the way. Oh, thank you. But I had such a great hang with him at my boss's uh, service a couple years ago, and they, my boss Mike Denine had made a couple of those Fountains of Wayne records, and those guys were like super close, and you know would vacation with their families together and stuff right and that and that guy your boss mike he brought he had that gift of bringing everybody together yeah he was yeah he was kind of the glue he was a sort of behind the scenes glue of the boston music scene and he, he was you know one of the first people i met when i moved here uh through like Kay hanley and those folks and was lucky enough to make a bunch of records with him so do you think maybe your you know just your outlook was kind of influenced by by him or he had a big influence on you you know because you know i, oh. I kind of see you doing the same thing yeah like a thousand percent like from just i mean his production style i was a huge fan of and just like his whatever his arranging sort of sensibilities and and yeah he was always like you know never wanted to be in you know his name was on the back of the record he didn't want to be you know front and center for anything but he was just he was really good about putting the right folks together and um yeah yeah so are you i do i do what i can in my lover boy t-shirt <laughs> it almost does it almost really does look like a i know boy. it's weird i get it i get it that looks like an owl i mean if yeah. it were a lover boy shirt it'd be huge and it'd be in your armpits the l yeah the names would be the letters the l would be on my back yeah you look like you're really dying. I'm sorry. Oh, no. No, I just, I look like this all the time. It's not really co <laughs> just COVID. All right, Gabe, get it out of the way. Go ahead, do it. You know what it's going to be anyway. I know I'm afraid to ask because uh -oh. we're on a long streak of the right answer. But uh, <laughs> well, no, we're, we're about to, we're about to get the universe back in order. <laughs> the question that we always ask the guest is, you know, out of the two bands, which would you take? Which you prefer? Which would you have to have? Replacements or Iron Maiden? Wow. All right. I like that answer. Um, I'm going to go with the replacements. <laughs> yeah. And ho my daughter won't hear this, but she would be very disappointed that I did not say Iron Maiden. She's 10, by the way. Wow. Right. Sid's right an age. Iron Maiden fan? She is. That was, that was i think that was her third concert really yeah that was a good she, concert she, oh my i i never got to see them when i was a kid it, it was like fucking musical theater you know it was just like the set changes it was it was one of the greatest shows i've ever seen for sure they are a band for kids they are they really are oh yeah giant yeah. Cartoon Eddie Eddie right. guy sword, sword fighting with Bruce Dickinson. All right, I'm going to change my answer, Gabe. I'm going to go back. To, I'm going right. to say Iron Maiden. Okay, and that's your final answer. <laughs> All right, can't go back. So we're padding the lead here, Ben. Yeah, so great. we're playing Iron Maiden songs now at the VIP thing. I was going to say, I've, yeah, I've got a whole week to develop my galloping <laughs> bass skills. <laughs> can't do it. Uh, be easy. Not. I'll bring up. Uh, I got something from our mailbag this week. Uh, from our last episode, somebody's complaining about the weird shaming of Maiden somewhere in time. 
This guy says, I love that record too, damn it. Well, it's fine. It's just not, it's not a, it's not a level. He's not into the weird shaming of it. God damn it. There's nothing weird about it. It was a, <laughs> it was honest, straight up shaming that those, it'd be a much better record without those guitar synthesizers. Who can argue with that? I don't even think I know that record. Is that bad? No, it, it's, it's after power slave. It's the yeah. beginning of the end. It's, uh, it's got some good songs on it, but not, it's also when they started messing with guitar synthesizers, which everybody did. It doesn't matter. They were proudly no synthesizers. Uh, I know, but they caved. 87, 87. What was Ed doing in 87? Were you... I, I don't think the replacements were using guitar synthesizers in 87. <laughs> Motherfucker. That is true. Well, I, I was, I was. No, they were putting horns on their, their yeah. records. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. not that and cool. Record... Great. Oh, yes, it well, was cool. No, it wasn't. And, str- and strings in the yeah. same song. Fucking fantastic. Don't forget about that. Yeah, I think I missed the whole Maiden guitar synth era. I've got some homework to do. Gotta find the extended version of Working for the Weekend video and, <laughs> <laughs> and then listen to Synthesizer Maiden. Yeah. Uh, that might break my kid's heart. Imagine if ELO were Iron Maiden. That's okay. not what it sounds like. Okay, you, you had me excited for a hot I know. Second. I was like, I don't want to get your hopes up. I was like, wow, that sounds fucking fantastic. It does. It sounds really good. Somebody should do that. Is that what Ghost does? What does Ghost do? Ma- maiden songs in the style of ELO. Or ELO songs in the style of Maiden. Also good. Particularly the, er- the early stuff. You, you just blew you my hear. mind. Oh, you, you, you only like the early stuff? Like the Paul Diano stuff? No, 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 I'm saying early ELO in, done in the style of Maiden. Mm. This, this sort of proggy, like, post-move stuff. Oh, right. What's, what's... But yeah, I don't... I, I, I do like the early Maiden stuff. I mean, I, I don't like that guy's voice as much as Bruce Dickinson, but... I just read something. I you know, Paul Diano has some kind of illness. You know, he's not in the great, greatest of health. And uh, he came to one of the shows that they just played in like Prague or Budapest or something. And they met backstage and they had a big, you know, press release about it. But after after all this happened, the guys in Maiden pledged to pay Paul Diano's medical bills. Oh, good. And that was just on the news. But uh, that was a pretty cool story. I read that last night. I mean, he's that was on the news? It was on The Wire, you know, the blabbermouth podcast and stuff, you know. I read all the good news about metal these days. You're a blabbermouth fan? Oh yeah, that's where you go to get all the all the news on what's go, what's hip in metal. Are you still a metalhead? Do you, do you is that? Are you proudly a metalhead or? Uh oh, he's he's pulling out an Iron Maiden wallet or something. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it was something like that. <laughs> something like that. You nailed it right on the fucking head. Is that Once, that or he was? <laughs> Checking his pants to see if he did something. Once a metalhead, always a metalhead. You can't, you can't take the metal out of the metalhead. Are you sure? Yes, what I'm were sure. You, were you a metalhead, Ed? Yeah, uh, pretty much like, I don't know, like eighth grade through sophomore year, I was straight up metalhead. I think when I, I got super hip to like Damn the Torpedoes 
that kind of changed shit for me. And I didn't, I kind of shunned metal for many years and then realized I was being a dick and <laughs> went back to it. So you came back. It was sort of like Christianity. I mean, I, it, sure. <laughs> I, like, I always like Tom enjoyed Morello's it, but, but, guitar tech came back for his hat. Came back for the hat, yeah. That's not what... Um, <laughs> I don't feel like these analogies. Oh, it's like good. when Striper re, re, uh, disavowed sure. the Lord or whatever they did, and then they came back and you know. Wait, did they did they do that? Did yeah. they disavow the Lord? Sli- Striper did go secular for a little while. They went secular, yes, and then they came wow. back. Do people vengeance. do people outside of like Christian metal and stuff? Do they know the word secular? Like people, people don't throw that word around unless they're like into like Christian rock or something like that. I just think of, well, I just think of like gospel music and soul music, you know, where it's like, that's, that's kind of where like soul started, where they were taking gospel tunes and changing the lyrics and making them secular. Oh. That's when I, that's what I think. That's what you think. All right. That's pretty good. I didn't, I'd never heard the word secular and striper in the same sentence before. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of into it well i had a girlfriend in high school and her parents were always trying to get me to listen to christian rock i'm just like you know it's just not good you know and they're like oh well you, you listen you listen to secular music you know it's it's not right and i'm just kind of like yeah but this music sucks <laughs> <laughs> and also i have to go <laughs> <laughs> But Christian music uh, kind of infiltrated like a lot of like alternative and and you know almost emo and you know rock in the nineties and two thousands. Not the good stuff. It made its way to the mainstream. What are you talking about? What Creed is the good stuff? I didn't say it was good. I just said it, it infiltrated rock music. So Creed Creed were Jesus guys. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I kind of I shut I shut them out as soon as I heard that guy's voice. Like, nope. <laughs> I'm out. Although I do enjoy his uh, Florida Marlins theme song. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I haven't. Oh, it's fucking fantastic. It's 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 as awful as you think. Let's play ball. It's game We want strikeouts, base hits, double plays. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. A stolen base A perfect game 